0: For a word of prayer, Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov, Elohei Yeshua Mishikenu. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, God of Yeshua, our Messiah, we praise you and thank you, God, for you are worthy and mighty and awesome. And God, I pray that you would speak to hearts today, that you would encourage the downtrodden Father, that they would see you for who you are, the mighty one in their lives. Father, I pray for victory in the house of the righteous God, Lord, that our homes and our lives would be filled with rejoicing and singing, Lord, as we go from victory to victory in you, and everyone said, amen. Today is um, the third installment in our message series, Conquering the Giants in Your Life. How many have a few giants in their life? I want to tell you that the giants and the giant that David faced in Goliath is just a symbol of the enemy's attacks against God's people. And one of the tactics and enemies that come against the people of God is anxiety. And it's certainly the case in our text that he had a whole nation of fighting men anxious and worried About a very defeatable giant. A very defeatable giant, a matter of fact, so defeatable that a young boy would defeat him with a slingshot and a stone. Yet it had the whole nation in anxious worry about this giant. Has anyone ever been anxious about anything? Have you ever worried about something out of your control to the point where it has consumed your every thought? Many people can relate to an occasional bout of anxiety. And some can even relate to seasons of anxiousness and worry through the course of their lives. But I want to tell you, the enemy is always looking to use this giant of anxiousness and worry to get us to freeze in our tracks and to retreat from the battle and to go hide. And this way, the cause of God cannot be advanced. Mishle, Proverbs chapter 12 and 25 says this, Anxiety in a person's heart weighs him down. But a kind word cheers him up. Anxiety is defined as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. The Hebrew word da'agah means restlessness, worry, an attitude or emotion of distress and dread. This was certainly the case among the camp of the Israelites. They dread. That every morning they would wake up to the voice of this giant yelling at them, challenging them, getting in their head. Turn to your neighbor and say, You and I are in a war. You and I are in a war. You might not think you're in a war because you're in nice clothes today. You might not think you're in a war because you woke up, you took a shower, you put on a little spritz spritz, combed your hair, had a nice breakfast. But I want to tell you, you are in a war like no other war that has ever been waged on the face of the earth. It is a spiritual war. And don't you know that in a war, the enemy attacks the troops? right? He doesn't, we could call God, right, is called the commander of the armies of heaven. The commanders are way back, aren't they? Who is up front? The troops. And who did Goliath harass? The troops of Israel. And are you familiar with the term psychological warfare? You ever wonder why you struggle in your faith? You struggle in your faith because the enemy uses psychological warfare. Just like in every war that has ever been fought on the planet Earth, okay, natural wars, they use psychological warfare. We know, right, in uh, World War II, right, and they, they, they would have radio playing to the troops to do what? To get them discouraged and anxious about the enemy they were facing. It's been used in every war. The enemy trying to get in your head. And I want to tell you that if the enemy is in your head today, that if you are discouraged and downtrodden, you are losing the war. But guess what? You can turn it around right now. The battle is for your mind. And what you think and how you approach fighting this war is really, really important. Most believers allow the enemy of their soul to run rampant through their mind and their thinking. And the enemy just tears us up and he uses psychological warfare using fiery darts of discouragement and depression and um, and Misinformation. Do you know that's, that's been a part of warfare, natural warfare for as long as... Misinformation, little seeds of misinformation about you, about the God you serve, about the kingdom that we've been born into, little bits of misinformation. One rabbi said this, I know what anxiety and panic is. It's ugly. I have seen it wreck." promising lives. I have also seen it conquered and vanquished. Anxiety can only be overcome, hear this, with a deep sense of faith. That's why the enemy is always trying to take your faith. God does not need your approval, listen, to be who he is. Do you hear that? God doesn't need your approval to be who he is. He is who he is regardless whether you agree with him or not, whether you believe it or not. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the mighty one of Israel and the savior of the souls of men. Whether you want to get in on that or not, that is true. He doesn't need our approval. But I'll tell you what, it is beneficial for us when we agree with him. Abandoning him changes nothing. Just as a created being cannot fathom its creator, so it cannot affect him. It only affects us when we give up on God. Whether or not you have faith in him can only change you, your state of health, and where your life is heading. Hear that. That is dependent on, upon you. And you need to decide how you're going to live your life and who are you going to let to be in charge of the way you think. The average person, said one doctor, would be surprised at who has anxiety disorder. Dr. Jeffrey Moore, a psychiatrist, said, there are many people you run into on a daily basis who have a diagnosable or diagnosed and treated anxiety disorder. That's what we call it in modern terms. But I'll tell you what, the men of Israel had an anxiety disorder. And that name of that disorder was called Goliath, the giant of the plishti. And I want to tell you, the things that cause you to stay up at night and bombard and torment your thoughts and your way of life is a giant of darkness that God wants you to conquer in his name. In Shmuel Aleph, 1 Samuel 17, verse 10, look at what Goliath said for 40 days every morning. Here is a man roughly 10 foot tall, as wide as a house, in battle armor, as mean looking as it could possibly get. I challenge Israel's armies today. Give me a man and we'll fight it out. And when Shaul and all Israel heard those words of the Plishti, they were shaken and terrified. Psychological warfare, my friend. They were frightened and beaten before they even had one round with this giant. So Goliath, the giant, said words that brought great anxiety and worry into the camp of Israel. What is the giant that's bringing great anxiety and worry into your camp this morning? Do you realize that David... I'm about six foot tall. David... All right, come on, Miles, come here. Uh, He was he was volunteering. I didn't want to do it to him. Okay, David. Goliath. David. Okay, a few years younger than Miles. David heard the same words as the seasoned warriors of Israel. They seem to despair and even dread the thought of facing off with Goliath. Yet David does not seem affected in the least. He's not intimidated. He doesn't back up. He doesn't say, oh my goodness, this might be a tough one. It's almost as if he knows something that they don't know. He's watching this giant. His brethren are terrified and petrified, and he's looking at it like, guys, what's the problem? What's the issue? There are many things that come into our lives that can lead to anxiety and worry. And the enemy will be sure that every one of those things comes your way. Many spend much of their time consumed with this giant. Instead of living their lives and enjoying the freedom that God has purchased for them in Messiah, they, like the men of Israel, are essentially stuck in time, consumed with anxiety, unable to move on with the purposes of God for their lives. They're stuck. Israel was stuck. For 40 days they were stuck in this same spot. It consumed everyone in the land. They were unable to move forward. That is the purpose for, for anxiety and worry. It's to get you to be stuck in your life. So what's the secret to conquering the giant of anxiety and worry? To do that, let's look at what God has to tell us about the subject. First thing is, do not be anxious. And I'm going to get into this. It says, look, in Matthew chapter 6, why do you think God tells us this? For a reason. He says, therefore, I tell you, God is telling you, do not, say "Do do not, be anxious about your life. So now, if you're anxious about your life right now, you're not doing what the Messiah said to do. He said, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Then he says, look at the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? That's an important question for you to answer. If you can't answer that question, there is a basic relationship issue between you and God. Are you... Answer it in your heart, not more valuable than they. And he says, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And which of you, by being anxious, could add a single hour or span to his life? Let me ask you a question. Does anxiousness and worry change anything? Does it ever change anything? Does it do anything good? Ever? No. Then how come we spend so much of our time, instead of fighting Goliath, which, P.S., it took David Less than 30 minutes to dispatch the giant. But we spend days and weeks and months and years over the giant of anxiousness and worry, wasting valuable time where God would like to move our lives forward. Instead, we're stuck waiting for the little shepherd boy to bring us a meal. Yet God is saying, no, we have a land to conquer, folks. I have great things for you, but yet we're stuck being tormented by a giant that can be dispatched by a boy in under 30 minutes. The Greek word here means to have an anxious concern based on apprehension, listen, about possible danger. Not real danger, possible danger and misfortune. To be worried about, to be anxious about. The phrase, are you not of more value than they, signals a form of argument known in rabbinic literature as Kal V'Komer. And it means if A is true, then B is really true. So if it's true that God takes care of the birds of the air, how much more will God take care of you? And we could all look to the birds in the air and they all look pretty good. They're chirping this time of year in spring. I don't know, you're sitting at your your table having a cup of coffee in the morning. Right? They're buzzing around the trees. Now, if that's true, then God being able to take care of you is really, really true. That's what that means. And for this reason, God tells us not to be anxious. This is the same reasoning David used. If God came through for me in this lesser skirmish I had with the bear and the lion, how much more will he come through for me with this giant? We can see... There is a trust factor involved here. And what the enemy is always trying to do to us is to get us, hear me, not to trust God. I know, you think he is doing all these crazy things. He's a scary horned, red-faced thing looking to... Get you when you go out to your car late at night or walk down some dark alley. But what he's really doing is working while you're sitting at your office during the day, working on getting you not to trust God. And usually based on circumstances you might be facing. After all, the children of Israel were facing a real live giant. And the enemy was saying, You see that? That's real and you can't defeat him, and God can't save you, and you will lose, and Israel will be defeated. Battle of the mind. All of Israel agreed with that thought, except for David. I want to ask you this question. Are you agreeing with the enemy based on a circumstance that is real? He is a giant. He is 10 foot tall. He was never defeated. He was a mighty, awesome sight to behold, intimidating in every way. Yeah, he was. He never lost a battle, true. But God said, but I'm on your side. Do you trust me to overcome it? He doesn't even tell David you don't have to fight. See, we think God is going to just remove things from us. And we wake up every morning discouraged because there are giants in our house. God says, don't be discouraged that there's giants in your house. Just get to work and remove them. I am with you. Remove them. And as long as you refuse to remove them, you'll be feeding the giant." And I want to tell you, a guy ten foot tall and probably somewhere around six hundred pounds is a lot to feed. What do you think a guy's six hundred pounds? How much he eats? That's a big boy right there to feed. It's a trust factor. And it's essential in order for us to walk in the command of God to not be anxious about your life. Hear me. Do not let the thoughts of darkness take root in your mind. I'm going to say it again. Do not let the thoughts of darkness take root in your mind. David did not, and it served him well. Do you know that the enemy cannot make you think on something? He can't, yes, he can shoot the thought at you, but he can't make you dwell on it. You choose to dwell on it, or you choose to eliminate it. You choose to agree with it, or you refuse it access to your heart and to your soul. And by meditating on it and ruminating on it and pondering upon it, it grows and grows and grows and grows and you feed it and it becomes entrenched. And guess what it does? It steals your victory. That's why the psalmist tells us to cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall, Tehillim 55, 22. Even our doctors tell us that an an anxious heart weighs a man down. It is a weight we were never designed to carry. It's a load that we cannot handle. Even so, we tend to worry about things that we cannot change and over concerns about tomorrow that may never even happen. How much? How many of us have wasted hour upon hour worrying about things that never happened anyway? The enemy is a master of infiltrating your mind. How about that little, that little holiday dinner you're going to go to and he starts working on you, well, so-and-so is going to be there. And you know how it is every time so-and-so is there. They're always nasty and they're going to tell you this and they're going to say that. And before you even get there for days, you have nothing but dread in your heart. And you replay the scenario hour after hour after hour. And you walk into the little family get-together that's supposed to be like, like this. <laughs> and then the person greets you and says, oh, it's, oh I, I was so looking forward to, to seeing you. Thanks for coming. And all of a sudden you're like, did I just waste three days for nothing? In Kepha Allah 5 7, it says, Cast all, say all, all, your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The New King James Version puts it this way in Michelet 12. It says, Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. Can I tell you that that is not from the Lord? Okay, and it is not based on your situation because I know what you're going to tell me. But Rabbi, you don't see the size of the giant. No. No, like David, I don't see the size of the giant. I see the size of God. And the giant looks really small in comparison to God. David did not see the size of the giant. That's why he was virtually unaffected. He saw Miles stand up. There's Goliath now. He went from David to Goliath. He's doing well. And there's Goliath. He's so huge. And David's looking at God that fills the whole universe and saying, all right, whatever. Meet you on the battlefield. I'll get right down to that. Not even concerned because he saw God and how awesome God is. With that said, you must be, say I must be, in charge and in control of my thoughts. Here's my second point. I'm going to give you ten things that are powerful scriptural truths. You could choose to incorporate them into your life or you could put them in your pocket and unfortunately some of you are just going to... Because I want to tell you, to live in victory takes work. You hear that? If you don't want to work at anything, you'll never excel at anything. If you want to be a good musician got to practice, right? Okay, if you want to have a good relationship in your marriage, you got to work on it. Yeah, you can't not men. You can't not communicate to your wife. Okay, and then expect the other areas that you would like to go well to go well. It's not the way it works. It takes work to have a good relationship. It takes work to live in victory in God. So, to control our thoughts. So many negative things in our lives begin with a single thought. Thoughts can then either be vetted against the word of God. Is this thought true? I mean, is Goliath able to defeat God? That's what David's thinking. That's what he's saying. Is Goliath greater than God? He surveys him and says, no way. Not even close. No problem. He vetted it against the word of God. So they're either vetted against the word of God or they're allowed to run rampant in our thinking. And so many believers just allow thoughts to run rampant. The simple yet powerful truth is we are in control of what we think about. Say, I am in control of my thoughts, everyone. No one or no thing can make us think about anything. We choose to. The true, the enemy can shoot a fiery arrow or thought, but we get to decide whether it stays or not. I am in control of my thoughts. Say it. No one else but me. The scriptures are clear about this. And look what it says Philippians 4 8. I want everyone in this room to memorize this verse. And if you don't, okay, don't wonder why you have issues. Look what it says Philippians 4 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any virtue and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Say, dwell on these things. And nothing else. But Rabbi, I know what you're thinking. Goliath is real. Yes, he is. He was real for David. But David didn't dwell on Goliath, did he? He dwelt on good, lovely, excellent, truthful, honorable, praiseworthy God. And in comparison, yeah, he's big in the natural, but he's small in the spiritual. Say, I am in control of my thoughts. No one else but me. Say, I am in control of my thoughts. No one else but me. Here are ten ways of turning from anxious thinking, and it's based on an article from Alex Blackwell. I'm going to give you ten things and I pray with all my heart that you take them to heart and that you apply them. Here's the first one. Stay away from all or nothing thinking. God, if you don't heal me instantly when I go up for prayer today, then you must not be real, and I can't serve you. People do that to God all the time. It's all or nothing, God. God, if you don't heal me today, right now, instantly, you're not real, and I won't serve you. Words like always, never, impossible, terrible, and perfect are rigid and allow little room for interpretation or flexibility. God has a tendency to do things creatively and rarely the same way twice. How many times in scripture did God hear, did Yeshua heal by spitting on dirt and creating mud to place it over someone's eye? How many times? Once. Once. Understand an overgeneralized statement is another form of ne- a negative thought which will usher in anxiousness, okay? So don't do it. Number two, don't be stubborn when it comes to your thoughts. Don't be stubborn. Would you rather be right or happy? Don't be stubborn when it comes to the principles of God. God tells us, for instance, to forgive, right? Yet we refuse because we were in the right and feel like we are legitimizing their actions if we forgive. The truth is, when we forgive, we live free and happy. That's the truth. And by choosing and harboring unforgiveness, we are only hurting ourselves. So the truth is, don't be stubborn when it comes to your thoughts. Would you rather be happy or right? Well, Rabbi, that person, you don't know what they did to me. No, that is true, I don't, but I'll tell you what, as long as you choose to not forgive them, they are doing it to you over and over and over and over and over and over again, year in and year out. And when you forgive them, you will be free as free could be. So don't be stubborn when it comes to your thoughts. Don't allow thoughts of unforgiveness, which lead to hurt and anger, to reside in your thoughts. Instead, instead dwell on how Messiah forgave you. The third one is we need to change our mental filter. Just like a dirty oil filter ruins your car, so can your mental filter ruin your life? Persistent pessimism, says the author can develop into a habit if we are not careful. Left unattended, chronic negative thinking can begin to shape the way we see the world. And friends, can I tell you, I know so many believers who have chronic pessimistic thinking. They ever see the glass half empty. That's all they see. we can begin to change our mental filter by allowing positive thoughts to sift through our brains. Try to see the good in every circumstance. So let me say our verse again. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any virtue, if there is anything worthy of praise... Dwell on these things. The next one is watch your tendency for jumping to conclusions. By asking, what's the rest of the story? We are in a better position, says the author, to monitor our negative thoughts and keep them from trumping what is really going on. The clarity we gain empowers us to have a more rational and positive reaction. Think about Kefa. Kepha thought he was doing the right thing by rebuking Yeshua, didn't he? It seemed like the right thing, the sensible thing to do, but what didn't Kepha have? Kepha didn't have all the information, did he? So he's rebuking the Messiah from going to do what the Messiah was assigned to do. He thought that if Yeshua did what he said he would do, which was go and die on the tree, that it would be the most catastrophic failure in the history of the world. And the truth is, it was the greatest success in the world history. So let me ask you, do you jump to conclusions about every situation you're in? Do you jump to conclusions? Oh, that person is always. As soon as you say that, oh, they're always. You jump to a conclusion. Did not the Pharisees jump to conclusions about the woman caught in adultery? Oh, they were ready to stone her dead. And Yeshua said, "Hold, hold, hold, hold on a minute here, guys. Let's slow down on this. The next one is don't should on yourself. What? Don't should on yourself. When we should on ourselves, and I'll explain it in a second, we are issuing negative judgments about our actions and behaviors. Consider the following statements. I should be a better parent. I should be making more money. I should be happier. I should be farther along than I am. I should be better at this. I should be better at that. These should statements suggest that our current status is not good enough. And these thoughts are negative and they prevent us from seeing what is positive. David didn't go to Goliath and said, I should have been here earlier. And, right, I should have did this and I should have did that. No, he saw what he, the problem and he took care of it. Because, you know, the enemy wants you to get into the should have, could have thing. How does that make you feel when you start thinking, I should be a better believer? I should be a better parent. I should do more for my kids. Does that uplift you? Generally not. And look what Shu'ul writes. I am not saying this because I am in need. For whatever circumstance I am in, I have learned to be content. I know what it is to live with humble means and I know what it is to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment, both to be filled and to go hungry, to have abundance and to suffer need. I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. Shaul could have said, I should have plenty at all times because look at my great sacrifice. I should not be in want. Look who I am. God, I should be prospering. Look, after all, what I've laid down to serve you. I should be better off than I am. I should have plenty of food, yet I'm hungry. I should be free, yet I'm imprisoned. Did Shaul walk around saying, I should be something else? No. He learned the secret is, I'm content in every situation, and I know this, that I can do all things through the Messiah. Yes, I could endure hardship. Yes, I could endure lack. Yes, I could endure trouble because Messiah strengthens me. Without being poisoned in our heart and thoughts about God. See, many people think they're enduring, but they're enduring, yet they hold something, they hold a grudge against God. They're mad at God. God, I'm enduring, but I want you to know I'm not happy about it. And I want you to know, God, I'm angry at you because you didn't free me. That's not the attitude that Shaul's walking in. He's content. He's in prison. And he's content. He has no food to eat. He's shipwrecked in the sea, beaten many times. But he's content because he knows where his contentment comes from. From who? The person say the person, of Messiah Yeshua. Not from stuff, not from things, not from people, not from your situation, not from your circumstance, not from your status in life, from the person of Yeshua. And I'll tell you this, people of God, if you can't get content in Yeshua, you will never have contentment. You're not going to get it from your job, you're not going to get it from your spouse, you're not going to get it from anything you could buy or any place you could live. You're going to get it from a singular source, that is the person of the Almighty through Yeshua. That's what Shaul knew. And that's why he was able to do all things in all situations. I have a couple more. Beware of emotional reasoning, making conclusions based on how we feel. Based on how we feel. How many people say, Well, I don't feel like it? I don't, God, I don't feel like it. Don't you know? as people of God, we don't base our decisions on how we feel. Just because we are experiencing a certain uncomfortable emotion doesn't mean our character or our soul has been downgraded. It just means that for that moment, in that small space of time, we feel a certain way about ourselves. That's all. It doesn't mean make it true. Look what the psalmist, the same psalmist, by the way, that fought Goliath, said this. My soul, why are you so downcast? He felt downcast. But it's funny, he doesn't stay downcast for too long. Why are you groaning inside me, hoping God, since I will praise him again for the salvation that comes from his presence My God, when I feel so downcast, I remind myself of you. When I feel so downcast, I remind myself of you. I know what you're saying. When you're so downcast, you get your favorite flavor of Ben and Jerry's, Cherry Garcia. What's that one I like? The red red velvet cake in the ice cream. Does it get better than red velvet cake in the ice cream? No, that's good. But you take that little pint of bed and cherries when you're so downcast, and you say, I'll just have a spoon. Give me a break. You know that spoon turns into the whole thing. And you just eat yourself... And let me ask you a question. Being downcast, does that pint of ice cream make you feel better? Yeah, do you know the second it stops? is after you're done eating it. And you saying, oh, my God, what did I just do to myself? I was already tight in those pants. <laughs> Bad move. And then you start beating yourself up because you ate the whole thing. See, we do things like that. We think we're downcast and giving in to that little downcast spirit. That little pity party is going to help us. It hurts us. The only thing that helps when I am downcast, I will put my trust in you. We don't always feel great, but that doesn't change how God feels about us, by the way. Well, I don't feel great. That's all right. God still thinks you're pretty great. The next one is, try not to take everything personally. It may be hard to hear, but not everything is about you. And not everything is about me either. Fear, paranoia, and perhaps a measure of insecurity can lead us to believe the way other people react or the things they say are directed at us. You know, sometimes, friends, people are just having a bad hair day. They're just having a bad day. Sometimes they're just going through their own issues. Sometimes they're just insensitive or judgmental or just playing in a bad mood. And not everything is personal to us. Do you hear that? I wanted to say as spiritual leaders, we get that a lot. Because often around services, we're busy. So if we walk by and we don't have a big fat smile on our face, people will start to think, oh, the rabbit doesn't like me. I'm going to put you at ease. The rabbi loves all of you. Uh, we, today, specifically, we get up to go upstairs and chat and have a cup of coffee and schmooze. Great. But because I don't smile, because sometimes we're troubleshooting things, and the smile has left me for a second. And, you know, the rabbi did not smile at me. He doesn't like me. No, let me put you at ease. The rabbi loves you, prays for you, wants you to succeed, wants to bless you. But the enemy... Wants to make it personal. He doesn't like me. They don't like me. Or my family, they don't like me. They're trying to hurt me. They're trying, the boss, he's just trying, out for me. Don't make everything personal. People are going through their own stuff. And you know what? In the world, there are not a lot of happy people out there. And you know what? They're grouchy because they're grouchy. They're just grouchy folk. The enemy uses this to get into our thoughts in order to get us to feel bad about ourselves or to dislike people, even family members. And it can lead to all sorts of problems and even sin if we let it go. Don't dwell on them. Be more concerned with what God thinks about you and dwell on that. You know what? If you dwell on what God thinks about you, you'll be a pretty happy camper because your, your thoughts are in the right place. God, what do you think about me? What do you think about my attitude? Well, he might tell you. adjust it a little bit, but that's okay. But what does God think about me? It's the only thing at the end of the day that really matters, right? Not what people think about you. Yeah? I got two more and we're done and we can go up to have a bagel. Dial back from magnifying the problem. There is a there's perception and then there's reality. Correct? Our negative thoughts start to churn when we confuse the two. Seeing a situation for what it really is instead of what it feels like can help us stay grounded. Magnifying a problem only gives the problem more energy and provides the opportunity for the situation to become larger than what it was ever intended to be. My wife calls them hot thoughts. How many of us have had conversations in our minds based on a look someone gave us? Oh, they must be sitting there talking about me. And they must be. And you have this whole conversation in your mind. And you know what they did? They were chewing on their little Tic Tac. And they they chipped a tooth. And they were in pain. And they're looking... Oh my God! They're saying they're thinking that's a thousand dollars at the dentist, and they turned you away, and you're like, "Oh my God! Did you see that?" And now we have a we just had now a forty minute conversation in our thinking, and now we don't even want to approach the people, and now we kind of think, yeah, they were kind of they were kind of nasty anyway, and we start that happens all the the enemy is a. It happens in families. It happens in congregations. The enemy is a master at dividing people. It's what he does. Dial back from magnifying the problem. If someone makes a face at you, it's just a face. I have a lot of faces that run across my punum, And if I could tell you, If you look at my face and think something, 99.9% of the time, you're going to be wrong. Because I'm thinking about stuff. I might be off in my own little world. I might be playing a song in my head. I could be any number of places when you look at my countenance. The scripture says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure... Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any virtue, if there is anything worthy of praise, help me, dwell on these things. Do you see what God's telling you? He doesn't want you dwelling on the wrong things. He doesn't want you dwelling on the negative aspects of your spouse. He wants you to dwell on whatever is good, excellent, praiseworthy, honorable. Dwell on those things. Amen? Amen. Oh my? Whatever. You see, David actually plays down the thoughts the army of Israel had. They made this Goliath into this terrifying, menacing presence. David looked at this giant and said, this guy is nothing, a speck in the eye of God. And God is going to dispatch him With a stone and a little slingshot, David did not magnify the problem. He downplayed it. And let me give you the last one. Celebrate. Rejoice in every victory no matter how small they may be. Every one of us right now can dwell upon something good that's happened in your life and rejoice about it. That's what God is getting at. He wants you to be that type of person, to think of the victories that you do have. That's like saying, I mean, you can walk around, right, and you can list all the things that you don't have, or you can walk around and be thankful for everything that you do have. The choice is up to you, right? You can walk around your house and celebrate that you have a kitchen table. You could celebrate that you opened the fridge this morning and pulled out a couple of eggs. You could celebrate, right, that the mortgage is paid. There's a roof over your head. That you have clothes on your back. Or you will walk around and say, well, I can't shop at that store, and I can't drive that car, and I don't have this, and I don't have that. God is wanting us to be a people who celebrate In every victory. Celebrate good things when they happen. Don't simply dismiss them or minimize them. Celebrate them. There is no question some days have setbacks, says the author. A couple of obstacles and sometimes even pain. But like David, think about God and the great things he has done and celebrate his goodness. There's an old song that goes like this. When I think of his goodness... And what he's done for me, I'm going to dance, 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 all night, all night. When I think of his goodness and what he's done for me, I'm going to shout, 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 all night, all night. When I think of his goodness and what he's done for me, I'm going to... Praise, 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 all night, all night. Now, it doesn't go when I think of what I don't have and what he's not given me. What do you do then? That's a downer. I'm going to cry, cry. No, that song doesn't go like that. When I think of his goodness and what he's done for me. I mean, like I said today, each and every one of you in this room that he's set free by his precious blood. Are you kidding me? When you are walking on streets of gold, I doubt you're going to say, God only lived in a two-bedroom house. You're going to say, I'm going to dance, 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 dance all night, all night. For all eternity, you can do that. It's going to be a song, a perpetual song in your heart. God wants you to get that now. It all goes to when I think of... That's the key to the song, isn't it? Because I'm already smiling. Because when I think of His goodness, puts a smile on my face, and what He's done for me. Right from that, I'm going to dance. I'm going to shout. I'm going to praise. I'm going to sing all night, all night. What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? It's important. I'm going to close with this scripture. And then you could start thinking about the bagel and what to put on it. A little schmear, schmear, schmear. <laughs> what can I say? My, ki- my kids know this is how dad is. <laughs> okay, so here it is. Here's the verse, Philippians 4.6, and it's not the same one. No, no, it's a different one. Don't be anxious about anything. Say anything. Don't be anxious about Goliath. Rabbi, is 10 foot tall. Yeah, I know. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And then you'll praise, 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 praise all night, all night, amen. That's what you're going to do. That's what God wants from us. I want to tell you, there is spiritual warfare over your mind. The enemy is waging psychological warfare against us every single day that we breathe. Do you want to know why? He goes after the troops. We are the troops of God. And if he could get us to think that we are small and weak and God can't help us, we'll be just like the men of Israel hiding and stagnated for day upon day upon day upon day. Instead of advancing and taking the ground God has given us, we'll be bemoaning the fact that there is a giant in our way. I want to tell you, get up, clothe yourselves with the right thinking, get happy in God, and go take the giant down, for goodness sake. If a five-foot little ruddy boy can do it with a slingshot and a stone, you could do it with the power of your God through the resurrection of Messiah. So don't give in to him. Don't let him convince you that you have to live the way you're living. Get up every day and be in charge of your thoughts. Amen? Let's stand on our feet. Some of you need to go back and listen to this, because whoever controls the mind, okay, runs your life, and you're either going to let your mind be controlled by God and the Messiah and live in victory, or you're going to be letting the enemy beat you up. Don't let him do it. Stretch forth your hand. <speaking in Hebrew> May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom. Shabbat shalom. Please stay for a bagel and a schmear and a piece of cake and a cup of coffee, and we'll see you upstairs. Don't forget, Hebrew returns next week. My Hebrew students, be ready. It's going to be a big day. So I'm just saying. Amen.